The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. And a brother is born for adversity. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. You may be seated. If you are in kindergarten through fifth grade and you would like to go to children's church, please join our volunteers over by the kids' zone sign over this way. Well, good morning. Good morning. There we go. That's a little better. Hey, my name is Ben. I'm on staff uh, here at Restoration. We're glad that you're here um, and honored by your presence. If I haven't got a chance to meet you, you can uh, find me after. We like to know our, our folks, and so, uh, but we're honored with your presence. We've been going through Proverbs this summer and seeing how this Old Testament book uh, has application for modern-day life and how it uh, really does speak to 2021 and to who we are and how we are. And one person um, has said what wisdom is, is uh, recovering innocence, innocence on the far side of experience. And so we've been kind of looking through how that has to do with different things in our lives, like um, our money and like our emotions and our our words and our gossip and our sexuality. And this morning we'll see how uh, that idea of wisdom uh, looks in our relationships and our friendships. And so uh, one thing I want to list off for you this morning is uh, a song by Wilco, the the headliner of, of Moon River this fall. You can go check them out. Um, I I won't sing it, uh, and you're welcome, but it's a song called How to Fight Loneliness, and and some of the lyrics say this. How to fight loneliness, you smile all the time. You shine your teeth until meaningless. You sharpen them with lies. You laugh at every joke. Lyric says that uh, the first thing that you want is the last thing you ever need. That's how you fight loneliness. And then it ends with, You just smile all the time. You smile all the time. You smile all the time. Uh, The ways that we cope with our loneliness are many. And this is just scratching the surface. That that we we, we have this longing for friendship and being known in a relationship, and yet we're trying to figure out and cope with the loneliness we feel. And it often comes about in some kind of veneer, some kind of relational and social veneer that makes us feel like we're connected. We just smile all the time. And Proverbs tells us something uh, more beautiful and also more costly as we live in relationship with with one another. And so whether you're uh, coming in this morning with a Rolodex of close, close friends or at least maybe acquaintances, or maybe you aren't that way and you've just mustered the strength up to walk in, whoever you are and however you are, uh, Proverbs has something for us this morning. And we'll actually see how Jesus is this beautiful friend that not only offers a full friendship and and shows us how to be a good friend, but also did it through emptying himself 
and that's how we accomplished it. And so this morning we'll look at three things. Uh, we'll look at um, the hijacking of relationship, uh, the, the vision for friendship, and lastly, being befriended by the befriender. And so with that in mind, would you join me as we pray and study Proverbs this morning? Let's pray. Lord, we long to have someone know us and love us. And so this very day, would you meet us in each of our stories uh, because they are many. Would you show us what is broken? Would you show us what is beautiful? And Lord, would you show us also uh, what you're up to? We long to fight and cure this loneliness that we feel at times, whether it's when we're alone with our own thoughts or whether it's while we're in a sea of people. Wherever we feel our loneliness, would you remind us that you are our friend and Lord, you fill us. Would you forgive the sins of the bad friend who is preaching this morning, for there are many. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, so first, we'll look at the hijacking of relationship. Hijacking of relationship. To know how to be a good friend now, we need to kind of do a, a prognosis and look backwards to see how friendship comes about and what the design really is. Uh, there's, uh, as you know, in Genesis 1, it's the first book of the Bible, and it tells us kind of how things came about. And in Genesis 1, it, it begins with these famous words that you've probably heard before in the first two verses of Genesis 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. This tells us how things have come about, but what it also is getting at is showing us how the world was formless and void. These words in Hebrew talk about how um, the world was inhabitable. It was hostile to human life. And it tells us that that environment of, of hostile to human life, at the same time, the Spirit was hovering over it. That this triune God was hovering over the darkness and the, the madness, that things are hostile to human life. And what happens after that is beautiful things come about. The thing where no life can happen now gives birth and shows what God does and brings about beautiful things. These six days of creation show us how things happen and how things come about, but it really shows us this, that God has in mind to bring to bear who he is into the world. So the six days of creation isn't just how the world came about, it's actually a showcase and an ex exhibition of how the triune God relates perfectly to himself, and now he's going to give it to the world. He takes the madness and what's hostile to human life, and, and he transforms it into something beautiful. And, and in that, we obviously see Adam and Eve being created. And before Eve is created, Adam looks at, uh, or God looks at Adam and says, it's not good that man's alone. I'm going to do something about the loneliness he feels. Because as God, who feels perfect relationship with one another, I have to fix this loneliness. And so it gives him Eve. And in fact, it talks about Adam and Eve walking with God in the garden. And that word walking actually gets at this idea of perfect relationship. So what we need to know in creation, from the very get-go, the first page of the Bible, we see God is relational. He's perfectly relational with himself, and he shows himself to be relational with his creation. 
And that's his big idea, is relationship. That his creation is inherently relational because God himself is inherently relational. And, and so the hijacking of sin comes in, not just to tempt us and, and, and have us do things that are bad. Sin actually comes to the very thing that God is, which is relational. And therefore, it comes at the very thing that we are, relational. And therefore, we should not be surprised that the distortions of sin make itself known in all of our relationships. Like Adam and Eve with God, so with us with God. It's so easy to believe that, is he really that good? Does he have what, what I want in mind? Is he good? Is he powerful? It, it makes us uh, question the relationship with ourselves that we're just trying to figure out who we are. And maybe it's through different ailments, physical, mental, emotional. We're just trying to pinpoint and understand who we are as sin has hijacked the relationship with ourselves. It also hijacks the relationship with others, right? You know this relationally with uh, gossip and slander and, and silence and ghosting, fill in the blank, whatever it may be for you. Abuse, but relationship with others are uh, rigorous. And then also, it shouldn't be um, underwhelming that the relationship with the world around us is hard. We're having a faith and work seminar because we acknowledge work is beautiful and good, and it's hard. Right? The, the world around us and us have a distorted relationship. Right? All of those relationships are distorted because sin has its targeted aim at distorting everything who we are because we are entirely relational uh, beings, and it wants to make sure that we have misconceptions about what is good, and what is good is our relationships. So if that's the hijacking of relationship, right? From the get-go, God is about relationships and creating relationships in us. Uh, what does the author of Proverbs have to do with it? And Proverbs actually looks back at history. It's an Old Testament book, and it sees, yes, we are relational beings, and yes, sin has entered in the world and distorted those relationships. And you know what? There's a way to do it right. That relationships can be done properly, and wisdom, like we pointed out earlier, is recovery of innocence on the far side of experience, and that's possible in the people we are around. And that's what the author of Proverbs gets at, and he gives us uh, our second point, which is a vision for relationship, a vision for friendship. And so how do we have meaningful relationships in our life, right? How do we find that? And it's important to point out that um, we uh, don't have meaningful relationships just because we occupy the same space as others. Whether it's in a marriage or a household or a work experience, just because you're near someone doesn't mean that you are close with them, right? You can say that about uh, the guy eating a hot dog to you at a baseball game, you can't say that about your best friend, though. So it, it requires more of us than just being close to someone, sharing the same space. And it actually requires us to realize that the birthplace of a meaningful relationship is knowing you aren't a unicorn, that you're not the only one who struggles, who hopes, who dreams, who's excited about the same things. There's other people, too. And C.S. Lewis talks about that when he says, uh, Friendship is born at the moment when one man says to another, What, you two? I thought I was the only one. That the, the birthplace of friendship is when we realize we're not the only one. We're not the only unicorn, right? We're, there are other people out there 
that are like us. That's the birthplace of friendship. But how do we do friendship well? And Proverbs tells us kind of two distinct things. First of which, uh, it says this. Proverbs allows us, excuse me, Proverbs allows others to move towards us. That true friendship to be cultivated, we must allow others to enter into our life, right? Bring them in, let them come in. It's not hard to have friends. It's not. You can discover passions and shared common interests very fast. But what good, what marks good friendship is when you let someone near and they're able and have the freedom to speak into your life. In Proverbs 27, 6 and 9, it says this, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. What it's saying is that our best friends, the people who are closest to us, the most meaningful relationships are not from the yes men and yes women who just tell you what you want to hear and march to the beat of the tune that you put on. Actually, those are the people that the, the book of Proverbs calls enemies because they won't say the hard things that you need to hear and you need to know. They actually are your enemy. Because when, we, when someone says, I, I just can't tell them the truth that they need to hear, that person is actually looking out for themselves. They're saying, I'm, I don't want to break my comfort, therefore I won't say the hard thing that I need to say. But in fact, a true friend is someone who says the hard things that you need to say, but always to love you. We see a true friendship is marked by this. Um, honestly knowing us, to, to gently challenge us, to fiercely love us. They honestly know who we are, who we really are, and then they gently critique us, say the words we need to hear, but maybe hard, and always to fiercely love us. And if you lose any of those three, any one of those three falls out, all of a sudden, it's easy to hurt someone. If you don't know them, but you challenge them and love them, it's baseless. If you, if you know them, but critique them and don't love them, they're going to feel slammed, right? If you make one of those three things drop out, it's easy to hurt other people. Letting others in towards us requires the ingredient of good friendship, but it's also something else too. In verse um, 17 of chapter 27, it says this, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Something that's countercultural to our ethic of conflict avoidance is that, right? We try to avoid conflict, whether we've assumed it um, and seen it in our family tree of an origin or, or maybe in our friend groups, or at least we just assume it because it's easy, uh, that it's, it's hard to have conflict and do it well. And yet the Bible is here affirming it and commending it and saying conflict is good. Conflict's a really good thing, not when it deteriorates and, and just slams and, and wears them down, but actually when it builds up. That we can actually know we are so safe in a friendship when we know they're saying the hard words that we need to hear and they're loving us all the same. Now, up to now, it seems like uh, being a friend is just being a personified complaint box. And that's not what friendship is. The way this happens in real life, in real time, 
is that in our friendships, the people we know, we are like an onion. And they get to know one layer of the onion. And they offer uh, gentle criticism to that layer as we learn to trust and invite them in. And then once they get to that layer, we begin to open up about the next layer because we feel safe and loved by them. And then the next layer and the next layer. Friendship always, over time, it's not instantaneous or microwaved, over time always slowly lets a friend in and says, this is who I am. Can you say something about it and gently critique it and also fiercely love me at the same time? Friendship always lets others come in. But it's important to know that we can't just have them say the things that we want to hear because there's always in great friendships a vulnerable sacrifice. And a vulnerable sacrifice often includes us dying to the way that we view ourselves, right? Uh, we need to come to terms with that we actually may not be the way that we think we are. And that's where friends come in. It's, a high, it's an ingredient of high value, but, but not often seen. And C.S. Lewis says this about that thought. Uh, to, love is, uh, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact... You must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it up carefully, round with hobbies and little luxuries, avoid all entanglements, lock it safe in a casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. The older I get, uh, I look at my life now and also growing up, and I see and begin to articulate and parse out the way um, I've made vows. Um, when you are young and you put your hand on the iron when it's hot, it hurts. And you pull your hand back and you say to yourself, I will never do that again because of the way it hurt me. In our relationships, we do the exact same thing. We have learned to make vows to ourselves that say, I will never do this because of the way it made me feel when I felt this way. I will never speak first in a relationship because I always feel so stupid. I'll never uh, make myself known in this way because I feel like it's crickets when I say something maybe that's hard to say and bring out. Right? There are ways in which we say X, Y, or Z, I will never do again because of the way it's made me feel. The vows in our life. Quick aside, quick caveat. Um, there is, um, in relationships, deep wrong that happens. Whether it's an abuse or manipulation or, or power um, being uh, wrongly used, whatever it may be, uh, that's wrong. And so the way we make vows in those situations are not totally, completely wrong. When we, when we say the vows of the abuse we've endured, know that that's, that makes sense. But when it comes to our relationships, and when it comes to our relationships, we need to ask ourselves, where have we, in normal relationships with others, said, never will I again do X, Y, or Z because of the way I felt? I need to 
protect myself from anything else that will ever make me feel shame or guilt, despair, loneliness. What vows have you made to yourself where you said, never again will I do this or that? Because true friendship, when done right, they honestly know you, uh, they, they gently challenge you, and they fiercely love you. Friendship is letting others move close to you so they can know you, challenge you, and love you. So that's the motion, one motion. They come towards you. But Proverbs also can, uh, can um, give us another motion, and it's to move toward others. Uh, yes, you let people in in good friendships, and also you move towards others in good friendships. It's a two-way street. We need to allow ourselves to move towards others is what the book of Proverbs commends uh, to us. Because there's times, yes, we need them, and there's times where they need us. And it says in a few verses, in verse 17, 17, it says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. 18, 24, One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. 2520, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. There are times in which, in the lives of our friends, the sirens go off. And it's calling all troops. And naturally, that's when people run to them. And all of a sudden, they go from an extremely hard, difficult time. They look up and there's people all around them to support them. And that's when a true friend comes up. And also, a true friend stays when everyone else leaves. They're always there. Uh, at my father-in-law's funeral, um, his brother said that his best friend called him up uh, the week after he died and said, your brother had one God-given talent, and it was this. He was there when everyone else left, and he stuck with you. There are times in our lives where friends run to us and then they stay. And they put their arm around you and say, you're mine and I'm yours. And we're looking in the same direction and I'm sticking with you, even when the dust settles. Where in your life do you feel the arm of a friend around you, both in the moment when the sirens go off and that same friend has the same arm around you when the dust settles and they walk that road forward? Or maybe a reverse roles. Where have you been that to someone else? Or where are you being called to be that for someone else? Friendship that Proverbs commends asks someone to, yes, move toward you and asks someone to move towards others. It's a two-way street, two motions that we have to uh, embody. When I was in college, um, one winter, I wasn't feeling very well and had some symptoms that weren't aligning with good health. I had a lump on my neck and other symptoms like short of breath. And kind of throughout a week, I went through about a dozen appointments with blood tests and scans and biopsies and this appointment and that appointment. And it turned out on a Friday night, at the end of the week, I found out I had cancer. And two days later, uh, I was in a living room with 10 of my best friends from um, where I grew up and they'd driven from cities and states around to be there and love on me and care for me. I had roommates to do the same, three of which are in this room. And what was powerful is, yes, they were all there, 
right before I began chemotherapy. Uh, but when I was bald at my wedding, three months later, every single one of those people had shaved their head for me because I was bald, right? A true friend is there when the sirens go off and a true friend is there when the dust settles. And they're saying, I'm with you all the way because I know one day I'll need you to be there for me. True friendship is yes, runs to people and has them run to you. So that's the vision for friendship. That's how friendship is done. That's what Proverbs tells us. If I said, go and do likewise, uh, it wouldn't be long before you would be crushed by the weight of friendship. How you have to be a good friend to them and they have to be a good friend to you. And things can get hairy fast and get sideways fast. There's um, uh, a movie in the 90s called Tommy Boy. And uh, Chris Farley is this salesman who's trying to save his family's business, business. And he has to make all these sales in a short amount of time to, to make sure everything's okay and that the company is saved. And at one point, uh, it's kind of the, the crux of the movie. Uh, he's in a restaurant and Chris Farley, um, a more portly fella, uh, he, he grabs a roll and he's, he's telling this waitress uh, how bad of a salesman he is. And he says, you and me, we're a lot alike to this waitress, which they're not at all. And he says, uh, here's my sale. My sale is my little pet. And I walk in a room and I say, hello, little sale. I love you, my little pet. And he starts talking to the roll and he says, I love you. I, I love it. And I massage it. My cute little pale, uh, pet, my, my sale. I love you so much. And then he says, <laughs> he shreds this roll into pieces and it goes everywhere. He says, I killed my sale. I killed my pet. And then that waitress looks at him and says, you're sick, and walks away. Um, if we are left with just these directives to do, we will be, like Chris Farley is, to that sale. We will find some kind of way to suffocate the other person in a relationship. We'll find some way to mess it up if it's just on us. Ralph Waldo Emerson was said to say this, this is the only time you'll hear Chris Farley and Ralph Waldo Emerson said, kind of back to back. Um, he said this, Friendship does not ask, do you love me so much as do you see the same truth? If you're in a, um, a relationship and you keep on asking or wondering at least, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? Everything that is done after that, as you ask that question, will be a tryout will be a, maybe a showcase of trying to figure out that question. Everything they do will be the answer to the question. And quickly you'll feel very paranoid of, I don't think they love me. And Enemersim is pointing out, you can't really exist in a relationship like that. But you can when you say, do you see the same truth as me? So if we take that C.S. Lewis idea of knowing you're not a unicorn, knowing there's someone like you, and you're together, you also, really? You're like me? And if you take it and don't ask that person, do you love me, do you love me? But say, do you see the same truth? Are we going in the same direction? That's when a friendship is powerful. And that's what gets us to our last point. Going to the same truth. When you become befriended by the befriender. That things begin to be beautiful and redeemable when you begin to realize we need to look at the same truth and move in the same direction together when you're befriended by the befriender. Now, we need to point out that if Jesus is just a friend, he's worthless. 
right? He, could be, he can come to you and be near you and the sirens go off um, and even stick with you, but, but he's powerless if he's just a near presence. What's powerful about the, the friender is that he's the God of everything and he knows everything about you, everything about you, all of it. And he says, I'm going to move near you and I'm going to change you. And I'm going to redeem you. And I'm going to stick with you when the sirens go off and when the dust settles. And he does this uh, in a way that's extremely powerful. In John 15 and 16 and 17, uh, Jesus has done all of this um, his life. And he's about to go to the cross in just a few verses. And he's in with all of his friends in the upper room. It's called the upper room discourse. And in those three chapters, he's trying to tell his friends, his disciples, kind of have them grasp what he's been about and what he's about to do. I'm trying to have them make sense of it. And he says this in John 15. He says this. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know what the master doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. In those words, Jesus is holding nothing back from his friends, from his closest companions. He's saying, I don't call you a servant, but you're my friend. And he says, I'm giving you all the information you need. There's no thing that I haven't told you already that you don't need to know. And he's even saying, um, you know how much I love you? I'm not going to hold anything back because I'm going to go and die for you. I'm going to lay my life down for you. Um, when there is in a relationship betrayal, oftentimes the um, betrayed has um, a leg up and a bit of an allowance against the betrayer. Does that make sense? Thank you. <laughs> Jesus is saying these words, that you're my friends and, and, and you can ask anything in my name. I'm going to go lay my life down for you. Everything that the Father has uh, given me, I've told to you. I've given you everything. He says all of that to a people, his best friends, who are not going to be there when he dies on a cross. They're going to abandon him and betray him. And Jesus knows that. And yet Jesus says the same words knowing that. I know you're going to betray me. I know you're going to leave me to die alone. And I'm still going to decide to be your friend. And in fact, the fact that I die alone even proves more the fact that I love you and I'm with you and I'm for you. That Christ as the befriender knows everything about the people he's dying for and he still does it. Your addiction, he knows that. He still does it. The way you fail so many people around you with empty promises, he knows that and he still dies for you. He still calls you friends. The words you say to the people closest to you that are like shrapnel, he knows that. And he still dies for you. Friendship, as we see from Jesus to us, requires a great sacrifice. 
And the climax of his friendship for us is on display when he's alone on a cross. And just like his friends will abandon him, he knows that we will fail him. And that he still says, you're my friends. I'm still here for you. You cannot outrun my love for you. The most important person in the world thinks the world of us. True friendship is when we have nothing to give and yet we get something and we're changed by it. That we have nothing in our hands and yet we go away filled and we're changed by uh, that. Uh, I heard one person uh, say that uh, Jesus makes people feel around him. He makes people feel like they did when they were kids. And so if we take that principle and put it in the context of friendship, the befriender makes you feel both safe and connected, just like you were when you were a kid, or at least just like you should have felt when you were a kid, if that's not your story. Uh, that King Jesus says, come to me and I'm going to befriend you and feel both safe and totally connected because there's nothing that anyone can do to take any love or joy or friendship away from us. I'm so utterly for you. What does the voice of the friend of Jesus say to you? Because no, he does talk to you as their friend and he longs to be talked to as a friend as well. But what's beautiful is that, yes, he does do all that for us, but also he's a God that invites us into it also. Right, Jesus doesn't just do, just die for us and do these things for us, but he actually says, join me on this mission. That his whole mission, both before the cross and after the cross, is the same thing. Both in creation, both in when sin entered the world, both when he came, both now, it's all the same, and it's this. Go love other people. In creation, God gave himself and said, I relate perfectly to myself. Go relate perfectly to one another. And he says, do the same now. Go love people. He says uh, in Matthew 28, he says um, the final words before he ascends to heaven. He says, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus' master plan is to befriend you, bring you near, change you, safe and connected, safe and complete, safe and content, and to send you out. And it's a beautiful thing because he says, I'm with you to the very end of the age. There will never be a moment when I'm not with you and for you and your friend. Two implications, and we'll finish with this. One, Jesus is an equal opportunity befriender, and therefore so are we. If we look in the Gospels, we see Jesus' friends are uh, rugged, right? kind of the stain of society, and he befriends them, and he says, go and do the same, because you were that way, and I've moved towards you because I see something beautiful in you. And that's why he says, love your enemies, because he knows it's hard. So who are the people you are called to be an equal opportunity befriender to? Maybe it's a spouse you've gone grown cold to. Maybe it's a, a dear friend that has betrayed you. Uh, maybe it's a um, coworker or a boss that has totally passed you over. Maybe it's a family member or a parent that really has been 
uh, extremely uh, ill towards you? Who are you called to be an equal opportunity befriender to? But, but second and last implication, Jesus says, you belong to me, therefore you belong to the body of Christ. This kind of thing right here. And what that is, is it's more about a why and a who, right? People and a mission, rather than about a when and a where. It's not about the 12-11 and Stratton Hall on a Sunday morning. Put it plainly, uh, if you've come to church, and we'll finish the service in a few minutes, when you, if you've come to church, you'll walk out the door and it's over. You, it's, it's, it's done. If you walk out the door and you are the church, it's just beginning because Jesus is saying, join me on my mission of loving the world to life. How do you do it? By laying your life down because I've laid my life down for you. I am an equal opportunity befriender and there's no thing so ugly and hijacked that is not beautiful and redeemable. Know that Jesus is in the business of redeeming those we are around between us and God, ourselves and ourselves, ourselves and others, ourselves and our work, whatever it may be, God is a God who redeems relationships because he is a befriender for you and he says, go befriend others. That's how the world will be changed. That's how your life will be changed. Let's pray. Lord, as we just sang, in, uh, in justice will roll down, the line that uh, it says, um, he, uh, she who has been loved much has so much to give. Mercy is the fragrance of the broken. Lord, in our um, inner beings, may we know that. That mercy is the fragrance that we bask in because it's the very thing that you have given to us. A thing that um, uh, makes our relationship with you born and also consists and makes our relationship with you a joy. And so, Lord, may we go out into a world that longs for friendship because of the loneliness that they that is fight, fought. Would you remind us this very day, whether we're filled with friends and social circles or whether we are just dying for one person to acknowledge who we are and what we're thinking in our head, would you this day remind us that you are so for us we don't have to wonder because we have a cross to look at that says, I'm for you. We pray, Christ, in your sacrificial, full, loving name. Amen. Would you this day remind us that you are so for us? We don't have to wonder because we have a cross to look at that says, I'm for you. We pray, Christ, in your sacrificial, full, loving name. Amen.